Captain to Kiss Life with me, Swazi, and this episode is all about one year on since the murder of George Floyd. I'm in Bristol to find out what the city is saying with so many special guests. So we're in St Paul's, we've just come down, and I promise you there is not an inch of Bristol that has not got colour attached to it. It is so expressive. I'm in the middle of um, what seems to be the road that is opposite St Paul's Nursery School and Children's Centre. You've also got Little Bishop Street and on the corner of Little Bishop Street, someone has done a fantastic like mural of Captain Jamaica and his shield is a, is a disc and it's so creative. Um, and we're, yeah, we're just literally in the middle um, of just so much colour. There's graffiti everywhere, but then there's also really high murals. There's little, um, you know, there's like a cross on this blue building here and it says, may we never lose the wonder. Um, so everything is expressive. Everything is very bold and, and um, unashamed, you know? Bristol feels to be unashamed, which is right for Bristol because it's famous for its Afro-Caribbean community. It's, it's famous and well-known for the activism and the boldness that people had to stand up and to fight wrong and to cling to good as well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've just hit St Paul's and I'm coming up to one of the seven saints. Um, and if you could see some of the murals here in Bristol. And to be honest with you, I had no idea that Bristol was so so artistic, so colourful. Um, and the first of the seven saints that I have come up to on Campbell Street is the gorgeous and the fierce Dolores Campbell. And here she is with one, two, three, four, five children also illustrated and it is huge if you know me kiss i'm small but this this mural probably is about 10 of me stacked maybe not even 10 that's 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 too generous 20 of me stacked and you really do have to look up 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 and in fact you have to stand all the way back to get um dolores campbell in full view so who is dolores campbell well she was born in jamaica in 1935 Dolores migrated to Bristol in 1954 and trained to be a nurse. Equality, integration and community were so important to her. With fellow saints of St Paul's, Dolores co-founded the St Paul's Festival and the United Housing Association, now known as United Communities. Dolores was a trade union steward and a member of numerous local and national committees that supported the well-being of young people and older alike. And what really stuck out to me is that over an 18-year period, Dolores fostered approximately 30 children. You've got to think she's busy. She's busy doing everything, and she, now she's also fostering children as well. Um, and one of these children actually became a permanent member of her family. Um, in 2011, she sadly passed away. But in 2013, the Jamaican High Commission awarded a commendation to Dolores Campbell for her services to the community as part of the Bristol West Indian Parents and Friends Association. Where would we be without the work and the effort of Dolores Campbell? And it's so good to be standing outside of her mural. So in Bristol, a city that's renowned for its rebellion and a year ago, coming up to a year ago, um, everyone witnessed what happened in Bristol. Everyone saw people take down the statue of Edward Colston. It was a real moment last year. I'm joined by Wishmaster to give me the picture because I wasn't there. I need to know the story from your point of view. So on that day, what happened? Well, 10,000 people came out to march. It was a nice day. I feel like the city 
really came together and we all stood for a cause and yeah people weren't happy with things that had been going on like there'd been many um protests petitions to get it removed for years and i think on that day because of like the events that had happened previously due to george floyd and that i think that kind of helped spark it and the people were just took the power into their own hands basically and just said like forget what everyone else is saying this is what we feel and yeah it was just yeah it was a madness it was crazy still and you were there you said that yeah. you got on the plinth and then gave a speech i mean none of this was planned none how did this. it happen um do you know what to be fair like i actually didn't even plan to go and because like i'm kind of very conscious of like being a part of people's causes and i like to know that if I'm going to be a part of something, I actually stand for it and represent it. So first I wasn't going to go, but then I ended up like just going down to see what was going on. Mm, and happened, yeah, yeah, like, and I was at College Green and then we was like, walk, when we was like walking towards like um, the park and that, um, Castle Park. And then I got a call from my brethren saying, yo, like you need to come to the center. like." everyone's by the statue now like something's gonna happen and then when i got there they was literally pulling it down as i got there like dragging it through the streets and stuff it was mad but then i just decided that like to get up and you know like give a speech basically and just talk about you know that like this is like a testament to people's unity coming together and basically that you know is it, we need to like understand that these establishments like they're not for us they are corrupt and they're institutionalized and if we don't like try and change these things then we're going to be stuck in the same place in 10 20 years time and mm. do you know what i mean but it's all that's going to be is going to be our kids just going through it do you know what i mean so it's just about kind of like destroying and rebuilding sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And this is just another chapter in Bristol's history because we know you guys had the bus boycott, yeah. um, 63, yeah. um, the bus the bus company had to stop their nonsense yeah. about segregation. Uh, yeah, Bristol's always been quite a, you know, like a, um, a, re a rebellious town, but it's always quite had a good sense of community. But I feel like right now, you know, we're starting to lose it a bit, you know what I mean? And it's about coming together and kind of like, finding what we can do next to do this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, why Bristol? Why is it so rebellious? It's, it's a lot to do with the history and a lot to do with, you know, our, our families that came here to settle from the Windrush generation. You know, a lot of people, they went to like London, went to Brixton. Some people went to Bristol. Some people went to Birmingham. So they've got that kind of, I think they've got that sense of rebellion because when they first came here, they faced a lot of traumas and stuff and they had to actually stick together basically like as a, as a family, do you know what I mean? Because, you know, like they, they got invited here and that's, and that's what I'd like to remind people is that they actually got invited here because we actually fought in the war with them and we were invited here to help rebuild the country. So when they got here, they were kind of faced with a lot of you know, hardship and abuse and racism and things that they didn't really understand, you know what I mean? And because they're of a generation that that was all new to them, I believe that they kind of got systematically suppressed. So they kind of learned to accept it. But as we've got older and 
we realise these things aren't acceptable and mm. we've got to do something about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Shouts to your mum though. Yeah, what, yeah. What's your mum saying? Uh, my mum, a miracle. Big up mumsy. Um, yeah, she's just literally um, one counsellor for the Ashley area and that. She's always been a community person at heart. Like she used to um, do St Paul's Carnival. She was the chair for like five years and she used to work at Markham X doing like community stuff. So she's always been like a person in the community and always been trying to like push and importantly push our culture and our heritage do you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. yeah man and lastly just talk to me about your platform you're into music okay. you've got so much going on yeah, yeah. and just touching back about you said bristol is probably one of the most institutionally racist places yeah. in the uk why is that and why is it important to have your platform um i think that it's like that because it's still set in a very centuric time like you know they're, they're quite proud of their history but it's like at the end of the day like history is his story and everyone's story is different so right now this is very multicultural and i still feel like they deal with this place as it was like in the 60s and 70s when it was freshly new to culture and stuff and when you think of british culture now you have to include jamaican culture indian culture chinese culture because these are the things that make it up so you know like why i would say it's institutionalized racist because they still have things like White Ladies Road, Black Boy Hill. Now, that's a place that they actually actively used to run the slaves from a tunnel down from Portland Square up to White Ladies Road to be sold on Black Boy Hill. So like the fact that they still got that name that's is like, mad. that's crazy. And you know what I mean? We're in 2020 now, or well, 2021 even. So you know what I'm saying? Like, like when is it gonna change, innit? And I'm not trying to wipe away anyone's history, but for me, I just feel like, is that even something to be proud of? Wishmaster man, thank you so much for your time. Kiss life. So I'm walking alongside the river, the same journey really that the protesters would have taken as they dragged the statue of Edward Colston. And you can see the track marks on the floor. You can really see how far the journey was. And it's not a short journey at all. It made it look like the statue came down. The next thing you know, it's in the river. It's not at all like that. It's a long journey to go. So I'm walking along here on my way to the watershed to speak to some young activists to see what they're saying right here in Bristol. You're locked into Kiss Life with me, Swazi. This is the round table of round table conversations. I'm joined by three incredible people and we are sitting in the watershed located on Bristol's historic harbour side in the city. Watershed is a mixed art venue and home to three cinemas, a cafe and a bar. It also has an amazing media studio and hosts a diverse community of artists exploring creative technology and one of our guests sitting around the table. Also designed the artwork that can be seen across the front of the building. But I guess what drew me to this place in particular, because this time last year, the statue of Edward Colston left drag marks outside as the statue was dragged from the plinth to outside and then thrown into the river. Um, and so a whole year on, I want this section of the show to be about the vim and the vibe of Bristol. So I'm joined by Vincent Baidu. Hi, Vincent. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Good, your, your bio, multidisciplinary creative. What, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, do you know, I'm doing whatever I'm inspired to that <laughs> morning. Basically, that's what is a long list of doing that. But I, I try and follow things through. So I make comics, games, animations. Um, I'm doing a lot of programming at the moment. So mm -hmm. messing around with holographics, haptics. Um, yeah, 
anything innovative yeah. I'll, I'll have my little hand in nice nice yeah. nice i've got nazareth with me as well we've connected again sis through a whole I lockdown know. and now i'm opposite a table with you i I'm know excited. it's a full circle <laughs> yeah full circle exactly campaigner and journalist what have you been up to how's the last year been for you it's been it's been good it's been a it's been a crazy experience you know being part of the black lives matter protest and you know kind of getting myself stuck into journalism trying to write about race culture and all things that i care about and want everyone else to read mm-hmm. um by force so yeah it's been good it's been good <laughs> by force Come by on. force and also lucy turner whose artwork is outside the watershed and also i don't want to be the revealer of your good news that came out yesterday <laughs> so let us know your title you are looking at hey. the newest resident editor of Rife magazine. Come on. <laughs> That's an amazing achievement, sis, honestly. Thank it you. It really, mate. really is. Thank you um, so much. And I was watching your video as well, just everything that you have been talking about recently. The way you articulate it all, you just give us all vim. So I oh needed you. Oh my gosh, I needed thank you, you so much. I hope I can bring that today. You will. You will bring today. <laughs> so let me start off with Bristol, because I'm from London. This is my first time here in Bristol, and I've already walked around and seen every spot of colour. Bristol is not a, a, a beige or grey place, not to say the mm. least, right? Um, but it's also known as the rebellion city, that things change from here, things lead, uh, well, things start and have been led on from Bristol. So, Vincent, let me jump in with you because you sometimes say that Bristol isn't always part of that conversation mm-hmm. when, when thought of as, as the anchor of, of change. And yeah. so, yeah, why is that? Um, I think that's something that kind of, doesn't just run along the kind of campaigning activism thing. I think mm-hmm. that it kind of runs in the creative side as well. So when people think of like musical trends, producers, musical producers will always know that like Bristol has a solid space in it, but then it isn't necessarily like the commercial view. Mm-hmm. So it's the same with filming. Everybody who actually films knows about Bristol filmmakers, editors, what gets made here. But then like, it's not a general thing. Like if I go into the middle of like New York or something, oh yeah, Bristol. So basically Bristol is, the apex of a lot of things, technology, creativity, um, and rebellious stuff. But I think that it also is part of the reason why. So the creativity, the rebellion in Bristol comes from a very underdog mentality. Mm. It comes from a kind of a non-commercial space. And so I think that's the double-edged sword of it, is Mm. that because it is ultimately about the things that are getting done, you don't necessarily have the people with their PR heads on, with their marketing heads on, Mm. with the long-term views of how to publicize and gain traction. It is just more about the action. Do you know what I mean? I had an idea yesterday, tomorrow I'm gonna drag that statue off. Do you know what I mean? I'm just gonna do it, that's just what it's gonna be. So I think it's that kind of freestyle underdoggy energy that makes it happen is also why we don't kind of take the more London approach and, you know, take the perfect photos, crystallize it, put faces behind things and kind of campaign behind it. So that is both the like, Bristol's negative and positive. Wow. I'm, I'm just hearing mm, from this side <laughs> over here. Lucy, jump in. Why, why is that? Is, is Bristol too familiar with itself? I don't know about that. I was umming and I was agreeing with you and everything you're saying, especially the part about being like the underdogs. We just get on with stuff though. We don't need to like big ourselves up. As you're saying, we don't need our PR heads on, all this. We just do it. It's like I'm seeing a lot of grassroots things happening around here. We have an idea, we go for it. And I don't know, we've got so much to give here. Mm. But like you're saying, I'm not sure like why we don't have the same reputation as all these other cities. Yeah. 
Yeah. But but this is what I'm saying. I need it to be documented because mm. it just going around Bristol and seeing some of the murals done and, and they're huge, they're gorgeous. But I'm looking like my textbook has got none of these names. <laughs> uh, why have I not learned about these people? If Bristol is so key to the conversation, mm-hmm. where is it? So Nazar, talk to me about is it familiar to you because you're, you're in Bristol, you know the history, but don't you see it in your textbooks? Is it not being represented elsewhere? You know what? I think um, Bristol's not kind of exempt from having the issue of our history not being shown in textbooks. Um, I think Bristol's very loud and very kind of active in regards to the space of um, racial equality, etc. And obviously we have a long way to go. But I think we still fall into the, you know, the structural inequalities within educational settings where these things are not reflected. Because I think a lot of the things that I found out about Bristol isn't through textbooks, isn't through school. Like Mm -hmm. it's after I was on the streets shouting with my fellow Bristolians, you know, around these issues. And I think that's what's kind of shocking. Um, but I think just going back to what you were saying around kind of commercialising what um, Bristol's doing, I think it's because, I think it's two things. I think one is because Bristol is quite smaller compared to London. Mm-hmm. And it's bizarre because even on social media, you see London is very like, it drives a lot of opinion. It drives a lot of culture. It drives a lot of things and makes it mainstream. When I say drives it, maybe it doesn't make it, it's not like the origin of where things come from, but things become a bit more rated within the mainstream setting when London gets a hold of it, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. Um, and I think the second thing is, is that Bristol, I feel like is in a positive sense, very authentic. You know, um, we're not doing things for clout. We're not doing it to kind of like get some recognition or whatever. We're doing it because we want things to be done. People are tired, people are angry. And I think we see that a lot, especially a summer, you know, last year kind of thing, more recently. Bristol isn't the kind of city where we're looking for that recognition in regards to the activist space, the campaigner mm-hmm. space. We just want to change what's going on in the city. Um, and you see that with the perseverance of the people that are involved in these kind of spaces. Um, so I think that's what I'm seeing quite a lot yeah. in, in, this, in the city compared to, I guess, um, London, Birmingham, Manchester. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to come to Bristol as well, because I got caught up volunteering for Grenfell, which also led me to a lot of the civil rights movement and just reading up on the bus boycott that happened in America. But always, every school assembly is about MLK, is about Malcolm X. You're always driven to the American narrative. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that there was a British boycott here in Bristol. Paul Uh. Stevenson, Roy Hackett, all of those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, And so fast forward, when we were talking about White Lady Road and Black Boy Hill, still being here to this day and yet you have Edward Colston coming down as a statue so how can Mm. that happen and then road names not be changed is Bristol the most rebellious city in the UK the thing is I definitely think that it would probably be fair enough to say that Bristol is probably one of the more rebellious cities in the UK but it doesn't mean that it has less institutional problems right like it in a weird way it's like they're they're more on front street and Mm. so that's where I think, um, that's where I feel like the cycle actually comes from. So because mm. Bristol is one of those places where it's never been hidden. So again, you've got the size of our city. It's not the biggest city. It's actually the smallest, biggest city in the UK. Right. So when you've got a statue in the middle of the city centre in a city that's only that size, that means that everyone's going to be able to yeah. see it in there. And so you kind of, so it, like, it counts maybe... Bristol side basically reflects the microaggressions in like a more magnified way. So that leads to like more um, kind of unified small changes. So it's like if you take like a protest as like a load of individuals doing something in like a unified way, rather than just like a company changing policy, Bristol is rebellious in that sense. So I don't know that, you know, you might go to somewhere like Manchester or London and maybe pound for pound more policies 
kind of get changed in those places. Yeah. But in terms of feet on the ground, um, Bristol's always been involved in that conversation. So I think it would be hard to kind of, unless, unless you're talking like Ireland. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Unless you're talking straight like yeah. those kind of, effectively like little kind of wars mm -hmm. that happen within the country, mm. then yeah, I think Bristol would have to be up there. Like you're saying, like it is in your face, Colston statue right there, Colston towers right there, Colston girls school, Colston, Colston, Colston. Yeah. You're walking around this tiny bit of land and you're constantly reminded mm -hmm. of yeah. the past. You're constantly reminded of that. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know why it's taken us so long yeah. because it's just in your face. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine going to a girl's school as a young black girl, knowing that this, this man right. is, uh, I can't, sorry. I yeah. don't even have the so, word. So like, what was, why did it take last year then? Okay, now you're yeah, ready. You're yeah. ready to go. <laughs> just come, okay, on, come on. It burns me. Like it really, really burns <laughs> me. And I'll say why it burns me because I think again, and I know, you know, there's been a lot of people in this space where we're trying to kind of campaign for name changes or buildings mm -hmm. and road names to be changed and, you know, all these different things to happen. And um, a lot of the conversation that was around that was that, oh, like, we can't do that. There's a system, there's a process in place. It's going to take a long time. Oh, we need to sit around a table. Let's have an event. You know, there's a budget here to talk about these things. And, you know, it was like delaying it. And um, when I would come to kind of attend these things, I would think, oh, okay, maybe it's a bit more complicated than I thought, you know? Like, maybe it's a bit more difficult and I need to give these people a bit more slack because this is what they're telling us. The people that have the power to do it, that's, that's what they're telling us. Mm. And then the summer comes now <laughs> and you know, the, the, the statue gets taken down. And for me, when I went with my friends, like my friends are not very like, you know, um, well-versed in terms of the history of Bristol. But when I saw that statue, I was like, guys, do you know why this is going? Do you know who that is? I was like, ah, oh my God, like, damn, this is crazy. And they're like, yeah, it is crazy. I'm like, yeah, but I was going crazy with it. Cause I was like, this is actually like, it's mind blowing because, mm -hmm. you know, they're rolling into this, like into the river kind of thing. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's just a shocking situation. And what followed was even more interesting because mm -hmm. now suddenly, the figures in Bristol are interested. When we see that, you know, suddenly people are rating Bristol um, like more currently, it's like everyone now wants to jump on it. Now suddenly the name, there's been a name change of the, mm. the buildings, there's been name changes of schools, like there's conversations happening. The Bristol University that I went to were literally saying they don't want to change no name buildings, they don't want to do anything. Suddenly now they're making a scholarship for black students. Mm -hmm. Suddenly now they're actually changing things. I've seen it on Twitter and I was like, excuse me, I was an actual student representative in um, Bristol University and I was kind of supporting students who wanted to actually change the name, name building and they were getting nowhere they were trying to hush it down they were literally and then I see on Twitter that they're actually changing it after the whole you know the statue situation they saw that there was good PR in it so I think that's the that's the kind of the frustrating part of it is that all of these different changes that are happening not only is it because of the actors and the campaigners involved but let's let's be 100 with it it's because it's a PR stunt it's a PR stunt. It's a PR stunt for everybody. Like, because if they, if they were really about it, they would have changed White Ladies Road. They would have changed Black Boy Hill. They would have changed everything. There's so many bad Brock things happening within Bristol that need changing. And I think just, yeah, I think that's why I'm just a bit like frustrated and it burns me because all of this is a PR stunt. No one should be given alkylate apart from the people that were involved in campaigning mm. in regards to taking down the statue and the changes that followed. It's got yes. nothing to do with these public figures in Bristol because I, it's a PR stunt. Yeah, yes. I just, just to add to that, when, um, when the, so the Colston building that's there, it's got like an extra section. So there's like two sections of the Colston building. When they built the extra section, they got me in and on the first day that it was opened, I was meant to be doing, holding a panel with people about the name. And it was meant to be with like the heirs of Colston who wanted the names to still be there. And they just didn't turn up on that day. 
So that's like literally at the time when people were just actually trying to have this horse. It's like, okay, you've opened up your new building. You know, some people don't like the name. We're still here using the building. Let's have a thing. They just literally just didn't like plan to do it. Okay, we're going to turn up. Didn't turn up. And then that was just the end of it. So I feel like it is it is a, an important part of the conversation about like which things get the traction and then what happens afterwards. Because then that directly relates to like Bristol's position within all of them. Because like I say, we can, you can do all the right things and then nothing happens. And then you can just do like a wrong thing, a quote unquote wrong thing. And then when you see all the energy comes from, so then historically, what does that kind of just tell each generation? So when I'm, when, um, the, the kill the bill things are happening and I'm seeing all of those 20 year olds outside basically burning the police station, that seems a bit long for me, but I can't, I can't say because I just know what it is generationally. I'm just like, well, that, this, is your, this is your one. Ten years ago, I was outside Tesco's doing my thing. So there's just <laughs> something like about that continuous energy where yeah. it's like, all right, cool. You know, like the next ones are doing their versions yeah. and then ten years later, it'll probably be something similar. Right. And, and that's what I was going to say to you guys. Do you feel that you are among the names that will be spoken about in generations that's to come? Deep. That is a question. <laughs> <laughs> You know what it is though? I don't even care about my name. I just want to leave it like better for the next generation. What does better look like? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, editor. (laughs) (laughs) What does better look like? Um, Better's a world where we're not like having to, like you say, sit around months, years around a table talking about taking (sighs) a slaver's Mm. name down. What are we doing? Imagine if we wanted revenge. All we want is equality. Imagine. But does putting the statue in a museum qualify as better? What's your thoughts as Bristolians? You know what? I think we, again, we do need to learn about why and where this is happening, where, where it's come from. But I think for me, it's like, it's just a, it's just too small for me, you know. Like what we need is educational reforms. We need mm-hmm. to decolonize the educational system. We need to learn about these things, you know. There's no, it's great that you're putting it in the museum, but who has access to go to the museum? Mm-hmm. I didn't go to no museum when I was in secondary school. Like we couldn't afford it. Like mm-hmm. we ain't got no budget for that. So again, I would never have access to go and see what that history is. So mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so important that it's actually made into a into a space where the state um, state education exists. Therefore, most kids will be able to learn about it. Not in a place like the museum, and then you know, only some people have access to it because, you know, it, it, it just, it will get lost in history again. Yeah, yeah, like, it just gets lost again. I feel yeah. like all we teach as well about, like, black history is slavery as well. There's so many other things going on that I'd love to have learned about mm. or I'd love, like, my kids in the future to learn about. Like, let's talk about something else as well, you know. Mm. There's yeah. so much other things going on apart from slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's, it's definitely just like an, an energy thing. So... When, when somebody comes up with an original idea, it has more energy. So that first statue being taken down as like an action, I feel like in and of itself was like very symbolic, hence why it had all the repercussions. But then just doing that again and again doesn't then have the same impact. So I just think that it's an actual energy thing. Like, you know, I know it was like white people who took the statue down. And so therefore that spoke something to the city. Like after it happened and you said, you know, it, you could see the scrape marks all the way down and you could see where it got put into the river. I chilled there for like two hours and it was just so interesting seeing the white people who wanted to come and check, like, where was it? In there. Like that, that energy, I've never seen that energy and I suppose there was nowhere for them to put that energy. Um, I think that that's what the main thing is, is that you can actually do things and get it wrong providing that it was with the right energy. So if there was an actual, like, 
focus on changing education for the better and having the things that aren't just slavery in there you could do it and get a few things wrong and maybe be like oh can we talk about Mansa Musa like you could do that if the actual energy was like okay we need to change the education system but actually it's more the clout thing mm. actually it's more the it's gone what's viral what's going to get numbers and views and yeah, yeah and like what's going to get other people actually recognised because the real change we won't even see it for like seven years yeah. ten years you know what I mean it'll take a whole like cohort of young people to be educated within right. it and kind of go through it afterwards so I think again that's where the frustration does come in because you see like one genuine act mm. and then after that it's just like a lot of um uh like self-centered mm-hmm. thoughts that kind of come after noise with it that and comes. a lot of noise as well but even to your point and, and coming back to what you were saying it took how well can i just say for those who are listening to the show right now i'm sitting opposite the river the river is not a small river. And where the plinth was to where the man got dropped. Do you know what I mean? It's a long Slow. way to roll this statue. That would yeah. have taken real muscle work. Yeah. It would have taken time to get there. Because, he was heavy, that slave Right. And watching, <laughs> come on. But I think it, it, the irony or, you know, watching from London and seeing the clip, the, the statue came down. Next thing you know, it's in the water. But that wasn't the case for you watching it in the flesh in real time. It would have taken yep. a long time to get him from the plinth to, to the river. Um, and you were saying things, there's budget meetings and class meetings and, and then all we know is the next thing is in the river. So mm-hmm. is it going to take that long or is it just down to the vim and the vibe of Bristol to make it happen overnight? Yeah, let's, be, let's keep it a buck. Like direct action works. People always say that direct action doesn't work. Let's have a conversation. No, mm. it works. Mm. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened in Bristol over the last year alone that have shown that direct action works, let alone in the last 60, 70 years. Right. Mm. So I think it's a balance of having direct action and maybe a few conversations at the table, I would say. If we were doing this show this time next year, which one change would you like to see that hasn't happened already? I would say, like just a re- like a reform of the education system. That's what I'm going to keep screaming about is literally a reform of the education system. And I'm not, again, talking about like, as Lucy said, not just learning about kind of slavery and whatnot, but also empowering history of what black people have done in history. I think that would be like what um, would just be a very positive thing that would make me very happy. I would want um, black people to be more hands-on and practical and in ownership-wise just with like, technology and just like engineering and all the things that build up cities so essentially I feel like we've got um I think that this has sparked a lot of political involvement so you know like we've got two black mayors here and also I feel like the last few years has meant that we've got a lot of black people in representation positions but Mm -hmm. I would want to see them in more uh, ownership positions as it relates to things that build cities yeah Especially for Bristol as well. Yeah. Boy, yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I agree with you. I wanna see <laughs> I wanna see young black people in like every position. Let's not talk about it. I've been to so many places where diversity and inclusion is thrown around that word. Well let's see it. Mm. Let's see like your higher ups, let's see your executives, like put your money where your mouth is. And Bristol is like I think it's thirty three percent of Bristol is under twenty fives. There's so many young people with ideas, like, let's do it. Let's I think this is why we have change because of the youth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just Let's just do it. Guys, you've been so just incredible to talk to, you know. My first introduction into Bristol and just kind of get the flavour of everything. You've captured histories in 20 minutes. I don't know how you've done that. But honestly, um, Vincent, Naz and Lucy, thank you so much for your time. Um, Yeah, we can't wait to come back. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kiss. Life.
life. Supported by the Audio Content Fund. I'm Swazi and I'm joined by DJ Style, who's doing that radio in Bristol. I want to talk to you about music and people and the feel of Bristol right now. Um, and given the events of last year, what is the vibe of Bristol right now? Do you know what? I think I think Bristol and probably around the world, it just feels to be like an inspiring moment. People feel uplifted and I feel they reckon their voices are being listened to a lot more than they may have not been done in the past. Mm. So it's like people may not in the past been that confident to say things. Yeah. Now people feel, you know, damn it, I'm going to I'm going to say what needs to be said. Mm. It doesn't matter whose nose feels been out of joint things need to be done changes need to happen and I think that's what you're seeing that's yeah. the result of it yeah and the the voices in Bristol seem to be very loud we know radio is always going to be a medium mm. to be heard but even the art even the murals around the city as well um how are people just so creative where does that vim come from do you know what Bristol Bristol has always been a central point when it came to art music um history for many years and it's always been a, a city that's very vocal as well if you go back to like the 80s when the first uprisings happened and it was in bristol before brixton before everyone says you know it was the first of april uh 1980 so it's always had something to say and i think because we're that far from london and Birmingham and stuff people overlook the city but there was so much going on and i think once people entered and seen what was happening in bristol they realized that there's abundance of talent there's abundance of people who are outspoken and who are happy to take up positions to make the voice heard music has just been embedded in the city from day one and that stems to really down a lot to do with the sound systems and the you know a lot of the illegal party or the blues parties as we would call them was a central part of the the black community and stuff yeah. so i think out of that it's just led to so many different elements from um, bristol you know a lot of graffiti artists and wait before banksy you know i know banksy's a a major talking point but you know you know graffiti has been a, a major figure in Bristol. You've been in the game for a very long time so is it that the same conversations are happening from the 80s or you feel like people are saying the same thing? They are but I think what you're getting now is that now people know they need to answer they can't just brush it under the carpet you know some of the challenges that we're seeing now they're nothing new you know the stuff that the concerns the racism the discrimination the attacks all these stuff, you know, people being convicted for crimes they haven't done, it's, it's existed for a long time. I think now people are being held accountable. And, you know, I think social platforms and, you know, even a young generation of stuff are really stepping up and saying, you know what, I don't mind going on a march. I don't mind being militant and, and taking that chance. And if it means me having to, you know, get a conviction on the back of it, people are taking that chances. And Bristol has always been like that. It's embedded with that. We've we faced we faced challenges for a long time in our community. I grew up in St Paul's, you know, and that's the heart of um, the Caribbean community. And we've always had, you know, challenging situation either with the council, with the police, with education and stuff. But, you know, nothing what's happening is new. I just think you're having a different attitude from those who need to make changes, yeah. those in power. They're being held accountable and they're easily exposed a lot more if they're not making difference. Mm. That's the difference, I think, what's occurring now. Yeah. Are the young people the most rebellious generation now that Bristol has ever seen? <laughs> I want to say, yeah. Um, but I come from a generation where, you know, we, um, we had some heavy encounters, particularly with the police. We had National Front. We had skinheads. Um, you know, we had to deal with a lot of heavy racism back in that day um, and sometimes it meant going toe-to-toe -to -toe with people and stuff and being very confrontational because that's how you had to survive in these days 
Um, I like to say that this generation are stepping up to the plate and are reflecting the the appetite and the, the, the buzz and the enthusiasm to make a difference. So you guys are coming close. Let's, <laughs> let's see what time will tell. But, you, but I'm definitely feeling proud of what I'm seeing the younger generation doing. They're stepping up, they're putting themselves on the line and that's what we need to be doing, not to be scared and shy, shy away from you know, challenges. Hit them head on. Yeah. Do you think your generation would have taken down the statue of Edward Colston? Do you know, what, back then? We probably wouldn't even get a chance to get that close. The police would have sealed off the city centre before we could even reach as far as that. The fact that you have had a march to go with so many people up and down, you know, this is the central part of Bristol. You know, I, all right, so I lived in St. Paul's, which predominantly African-Caribbean people live. We never really stirred far, far out of there. One, because we felt safe in our environment, to be quite honest. But two, you know, you couldn't go to particular parts of Bristol because you'd either get chased out or you'd be, you'd be stopped and asked where you're going. So um, we probably wouldn't have... Out if, you know, if it was in a different location, we wouldn't have no hesitation. And we'd have set up a sound system and, and, and cooked some food and it would be a celebration. That wouldn't be no issue, but we probably wouldn't have got as close to even getting near to that um, statue. So, you know, what we saw last year was that it was a fulfilling feeling. It should have come down from a long time, but, you know, nothing's before its time. Given that your head is in music, give me one track that embodies the rebellion here in Bristol from a local um, artist, producer, yeah, someone that's local to you. So I, the first song I'd have to say that comes to mind is a, there's a song called Bristol Rock by Black Roots. It's a reggae group from Bristol. Um, they were prolific in their time, in fact, as well. If you check out the history on Google, you'll see um, how you know, well-known they were in touring up and down the country. And I'll be honest, um, I come from a soul background and I love hip hop, but that song there, it said so much and it was just, it was an uplifting song and I think it spoke about the time. It reflected what people felt and you know, it's Bristol rock and we're jamming. So that's the song for me. But there's a few other contenders, but I got, I got to represent the eighties cause I'm, you know, that's my era mm. still. So yeah. This is Kiss Life. I'm in Bristol with the one and only Lawrence Who, a poet from Bristol, doing big, big things. Lawrence, talk to me about yourself. How did you get into poetry? I got into poetry through anger and rage in my community at the situations um, that were continually happening around children. The same, the same issues that affected me growing up as a young boy in the inner city, which was a lack of care from society and lack of care from the institutions and the police who would rather target us than protect us. And then I saw the same issues and things arise around my children growing up. I grew up around vice and prostitution and drug. And then I seen the next thing, my son's going to school and right outside his school gate are prostitutes being sold crack cocaine. So went through different things trying to deal with the system and address it. Ended up in a real violent situation one day with somebody. Went home, had a decision to make. Do you go and finish this interaction that you're going to go and finish? which could end up meaning that your children don't have you in their life because either it's going to be one way or the other. And then that means your children end up in the same situation that you were left in. And um, I don't know why. I suddenly sat down at my dining table, picked up a pen and a paper. And I wrote the first poem I'd ever written in my life. And that was in the year 2004. And I literally just sat down on the thing. and I just wrote my feelings how I felt at that moment. It stopped me leaving the house. It stopped me doing what every single part of my body knew to do, so it was very difficult. And that was where the change started to begin. So it came from, I didn't write again for another year. Oh, I'm glad you've put pen to paper because you've given us a lot of words for what happened last year. We're in Bristol because it's the first year anniversary of George Floyd on Tuesday. 
Um, and of course, I'm from London and we watched what happened in Bristol with the taking down of the statue and him being thrown into the river. But from your point of view, why did that have to happen last year? Was it a combination of everything from the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd? But Bristol being so rich in history, surely this should have happened a long time ago. It happened because people came to Bristol and it's the people that came to Bristol did what the city of Bristol couldn't, wouldn't or didn't want to do. That is what the difference is. But, but Bristol is also very much the spark that lights so many other flames. And having heard from loads of people on the show today, Bristol doesn't always get that recognition. It doesn't always get the love for, for what it's done. Why is that? And what's next to come for Bristol? Well, I feel that we're right. It's still going. This is still going on. This hasn't stopped. I was kind of devastated with some of the political and certain responses that happened when um, the statue got pulled down because the world was watching. And I say, um, I've said, Bristol had 72 hours to correct everything it hadn't corrected before. Wow. Yeah, we've got serious problems with, um, they want to call it institutional race. It's just racism. Don't ever put a word before it. Yeah, racism is racism is racism. If it's institutionalized racism, it's just racism. Yeah, and we've got every law in place to protect us. But why are these laws not being upheld and administered to protect us? So when we've got people marching, say we need a new, no, you don't need no new laws. You, you mentioned the bus boycott. Just speaking to all the things to do with race relations and racism were addressed through that period in time. So the laws are in place. So we're just looking to get accountability for the failings and continual historical failings that have been going on for the last 40 years. We needed a global movement, yeah, to get justice. Do I celebrate that someone got charged for George Floyd? Celebrate what? That's just justice being served. And everybody celebrated in euphoria. Let's wait till we see the sentence that this gentleman gets. It wasn't first degree murder. It wasn't second degree murder. It was third degree murder. How do you keep your, your energy going? How do you keep on writing? I got four boys. <laughs> yeah. right? It comes now because I'm no longer, well, I'm not that angry anymore. Because I can see that we can have an effect and we can make the change as long as we work collectively with each other. So I could see that we can change it. We can make the change. So now I'm excited. Now I'm finding it a lot of it funny. Because I'm seeing people shaking. You can see the shake. You can see the fear. It's around there. And you know what? Good. Feel how we've had to feel our whole lives. Feel insecure. COVID made the whole world, as far as I'm concerned, for a minute, just know what it felt to be a black person. Under suspicion that you've done nothing wrong. People social distancing from you. People social distance from me my whole life. My whole life, people have moved away from me. So to be under suspicion every single day is just how we live every day. And I'm glad that the world got to feel what we feel like every single day. I'm really glad that you're putting words to so much of what we've seen already. And, and you've got a poem for us. So before you share that poem with us, yeah. <laughs> what, um, yeah, what's it about and, and when did it, where did it come from? Education is the key. Yeah, we only are what we're given. I was the sum of all my parts before. And a lot of those parts made me very dysfunctional. And as I've got to learn and get more knowledge and information, I've been able to add to who I am. I've become a more calm individual, yeah? So the poem I'm gonna give you is the poem that kind of explains that journey. So it's going back to the original poem. So I'm gonna give you I wish, because that's what sits with the, the purpose of education. Why can't why I'm here? And this is, so this poem is called I Wish. I wish as a boy growing up, 
that more of my history was shown. There was so much missing that could have helped me before I was grown. The history I was taught helped to fill me with anger and pain because it taught me that my ancestors were slaves with no name, captured, kidnapped, traded, and taken from their home. That's what I remember when my ancestors were shown. So when it came to history lessons, my interest was none because whenever it covered my ancestors, they were savages and dumb. But many years after leaving school, my interest started to grow. And that is when I realized there was so much I didn't know. Much of what I was taught in school and told was fact, was really like someone explaining all your life on just one act. There is so much to be proud of, so much that has been achieved, but without going in search of the truth, I would have been deceived. From kings and queens that built great nations, to teachers and scholars that helped with our educations. From people who stood up to what they saw was wrong, to people who risked their lives to help the sick get strong. From warriors that fought with so much pride, to all the people who for our cause died. These are just a few facts I found that turned my anger to joy. And I just wish they were taught to me when I was a boy. Kiss Life. Supported by the Audio Content Fund. So here we are in Stokes Croft, and I'm joined by the face of the uprising last year. Someone who became centre of attention, felt that surge of power. We've already nicknamed her Auntie Jen. Auntie Jen Reed is on Kiss this evening. Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? How yeah, are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Oh, you amazing. are someone that if we were going to come to Bristol, we had to come and speak to. So tell us, oh, what compelled you. you to climb up a tom that, um, that empty plinth and raise a black power salute? Do you know what? It was just... <laughs> It was a spontaneous moment. Uh, you have to remember how I was dressed. I was dressed as a Black Panther and I was dressed as a Black Panther intentionally. And the reason for that, as far as I'm concerned, nothing had changed. I was very aware that history was being made. Um, and we were walking back towards the plinth after, after Colson had gone in the water. And the friend said, she goes, you should get up there. And I ran to that plinth and thinking that I could just climb it by myself. Couldn't do it because there are dolphins at the side. So I was putting my feet on the dolphin, nothing. I just couldn't get up there. And my husband, Al, said to me, yeah. I said, I can't get up there. He said, yes, you can. You can get up there. Got up onto his shoulder. He stood up onto that plinth. And when I finally, eventually stood up, I'd, even now talking about it, the, I've got this, this, those same emotions. Because that, te- um, that plinth is now cleansed and it's cleansed of Colston. There's a new girl in town and it's a black woman. It's a powerful woman. She's not kneeling. She's standing. She's standing with her head held high and her fist risen. And you know what? I say it's not about me, Jen Reed, because my husband took the photo after and it's just it's my it's the silhouette. And that could be you or me. So it's not about me. It's about what was there before and who was there now. And that's me. Yeah. And when you got up, what did you see? It wasn't what I saw, it's what I felt. It's what I felt. I felt... I felt the... The enslaved that 
were thrown into the same river that Colston went into. I remembered my mother coming over from Jamaica with two dresses, being looked at as a second-class citizen after they were begged to come here. I saw my daughter, I saw myself in the many media industries that I worked in. First, I wouldn't call myself an activist, but do you know what, thinking about it, I've been an activist since I was probably about two. Well, first with my brothers, because I was brought up here. <laughs> I'm the youngest of five, and I'm wow. the youngest. So it's like running the gauntlet growing up, but hey, yeah. And, and you said before that um, you hadn't had the intention to go down to the protest. You were looking after parents, and so what, what changed your mind? I've never been to a protest in my life. Um, I was in two minds because I look after my elderly parents. I have a daughter who is just like, Mom, are you sure? COVID. And it's like, you know, I'm an honor because the last thing you want to do is get pass that on to your parents, you know, who are 85 and 87. Um, and I remember I had an argument with a friend in the morning of a woman who owns an establishment in Bristol who plays black music, who takes money for her venue from black people. Hey, guess what she posted? All lives matter. Really, babe. So you want to take my money and you want to play my music, but you're posting all lives matter. So what I did after that, I posted that all around Facebook saying, hey, hey, all black people of Bristol who have tend this venue. Check out what this woman is saying after she's taken all your money in this. She's saying all lives matter. I then had a friend, a call from a mutual friend to say, Jen, you need to take that down. You know, you're ruining her business. Why are you calling me to tell me to take that down? Why are you not calling her? So with that, you know, if there was any doubt in my mind, that. So the emotions I had that day uh, were very strong. Yeah. And not only did your, your image and what I love what you said <laughs> about the silhouette, we want to shout out artist Mark Quinn, who went on to make a statue yes, of Mark you. Mark Quinn, so come on. ally. Big up Mark Quinn for that. Mark Quinn makes a statue of you. It goes yep. up, then yep. it comes down a day later. Yep. And this is all very ironic. So it's for funny, you, though, isn't it? it is very funny. Yeah. So from your point of view, what happened? Well, from my point of view, I think um, people are scared of strong black women. They're even scared of images of strong black women. The statue was taken down. And you know what? The, f the fact that that statue was taken down in such a short time, I think that kept the conversation going. I think it made it more of a thing taking it down so quickly than them leaving that there for a week. So, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, you're never going to mention Colston without mentioning Jen Reed. And I'm going to tell you something that you may not have known. Um, so obviously after my statue went up, came down, um, for me it's all about education, it's all about kids. I really can't be bothered with adults anymore. So it's just about kids. So I started going into schools and speaking to the students, etc. So I just thought I'm going to do a little bit more research with regards to, to Colton so I could tell the kids. Um, I then found out that we share the same birthday. What? <laughs> yeah. No. Crazy. Call it serendipity, call it bad luck. So, you know what? You can't mention Colson without mentioning Jen Reed, as much as that might upset people's souls, but it is what it is, and it's history. And I, you know, I'm part of history, you're part of history. It's not about Jen Reed, it's about the cleansing of the plinth by a strong black woman with her head held high and her fist in the air.
Jen Reed, man. Kiss, you're listening to Kiss Live. We have just made history on the radio. Woo! What an amazing story to tell, man. So thank uh, you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you rate, review and subscribe and I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>